0: Exodus 19. We're continuing our study of characteristics of God. And I was uh, looking at some of my plans. I, I'm gonna go a few more weeks on this. You know, a lot of a lot of churches these days they think you can only have about a five-week attention span. And uh, so the servants come back in just five-week kind of segments. I believe on about my 30th week of this series, but uh, so much to learn about God, and I feel like after 35 or so weeks, characteristics of God, we've been picking a different characteristic each week, that um, we're still just this really scratching the surface. This morning, I want us to think about the veiled nature of God. It's certainly not something that
1: you hear talk about much. I think it will take our intimacy to develop level when
0: we begin to understand sky, uh, more and more and more, this is certainly a characteristic of um, It reminded me of my dorm room in college. There was one year I was uh, in the tower top of lookout
1: mountain, and I woke up.
0: Um, the, the next morning, we had left our window during the night, and I woke up, I, I couldn't see across the room. The whole room was, was uh, foggy as a thick like, smoke, and I... I thought, great, what's what's going on? Maybe it's the heat system. And I, I jumped up wondering, you know, if I uh, place good. with a fire or a I looked out the window and I said, the outside was just like the inside. You know, and I was trying to process what was going on and my roommate woke up and he said, what is it? I said, I think we've been sleeping in a cloud. You know, all of my life, the only time I got close to clouds, I was in an airplane. Now I'm on the top of this mountain, and the clouds came down and entered into the room. And they were, they were so thick that we really literally could not see across the room. You've probably had a similar experience if you've ever been driving in an automobile in dense fog. And you realize certain people are pulled off the side of the road and hopefully maybe flashes are on because the fog is so thick that if their lights are not on the vehicle in front of them, you, you can easily run into it. You need something because of the thickness of the fog to, to, to help you with the warning. I want you to have that kind of image as you look at Exodus 19. Especially, we read this last week, but we didn't spend any time on it. Verse nine, and you repeat it again in verse sixteen. Verse nine: The Lord said to Moses, "Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever." Then again in verse sixteen: So it came about on the third day, and it was morning, that there were thunder. And lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Now, obviously, uh, the people of God had been told, and then that God was going to show up, and that God did indeed show up. But when He shows up, even with all the other theatrics of thunder and lightning flashes and
1: loud uh, noise. There's this thick cloud. And so they're not seeing God
0: as intimately, maybe as, as we would like And Yet, there's no they can see him, they can feel him, they can hear him. Even though there's this thick cloud surrounding them and surrounding Him. I also think about how to recognize a God that is veiled, and what that means for us as we grow in our relationship with him. First of all, just recognizing this cloud of God. God is obviously present in Exodus 9, uh, verse 19, verse 9, and verse 16. He's obviously present, but as great as he is in his presence, you know, the thunder, the lightning, the, the noise, the cloud just comes upon them. As great as he is, as awesome as he is, trembling. They've never been in the presence of something so great. As great as he is, he is still not before them in
1: the full
0: blaze of
1: his glory.
0: There's so much more. But that so much more is hidden by the cloud. And the cloud is described consistently as a thick cloud. So it's the cloud you really can't see through; it's so thick, and that's the cloud we have here. Let me show it to you in a few other verses. Look at First Kings chapter eight, verse twelve. First Kings eight, verse twelve it says, "Then Solomon said." This is Solomon addressing the people of God as he's brought the ark; he's built the temple. He's brought the ark in, and Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. When they had their opening ceremony, some, that uh, temple, thick cloud entered that place. And Solomon said, well, that's kind of what we were expecting. Because that's what God said he would do. He would reach in the thick cloud. Look over at 2 Chronicles." chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 1. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. Here it is in Chronicles verse 18, same passage. But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. So the thick cloud shows up and says, how, how do you contain that? You don't. God is in this cloud, and yet he's in heaven at the same time. How does that happen? Heaven can't contain you. This house can't contain you. Look at Psalm uh, 113. Psalm 113, verse 5 and 6. Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Literally, the terminology there, God humbles himself to look into heaven and earth. For humble, think of the word stoop. So if, if, if I'm standing up and there's something down here, you know, I've got I to stoop to look into it. And that's the picture the psalmist is giving us there. It says God is enthroned in the heavens. And yet, really to look into the heavens, he's, he's got to kind of get down on heavenly level because he's above the heavens. And for him to get down on an earthly level, he's got to go beyond heaven. And stoop down to earth. We often don't have that grand a image of God that he's over heavens and the earth, that he's created heavens and earth. And he's he's uncontainable. So when he comes and shows up, he often rides a cloud. And it's a thick cloud. And he descends upon it now. Think through the same kind of concept when when God told Moses, "I want you to erect a tabernacle for me." And uh, as you lead the people out of Egypt, we we need this tabernacle, this place of worship, where I will meet with you, and I will meet with you face to face. And so they constructed the tabernacle just like God said. You you know the story. There's there's this outer court, there's an inner court, and then there's the holy and between the the holy place and the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was there's this veil and that veil that God constructed or told them to construct that was taken into the temple too so this temporary structure was moved into the temple as well and they would have a holy place and a holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was was where God was to dwell let me read some of it to you. As, you. as you look at Exodus 26, verse 33. Exodus 26, verse 33. It says, you shall hang up the veil under the clasp, and you shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy place. Of uh, holies. Uh, another passage, Leviticus 16, verse 2. Here's the first priests were ordained and sent into that holy holies. Those were the only people who would go in there. Leviticus 16, verse 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron, Aaron was the first priest, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place, inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he'll die, or I'll spare I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Now, interesting, as you begin to think that through, uh, Aaron is one of the few that he can be cleansed in the holy place, and then he can pull back the veil and go into the holy of holies. But here, uh, God's telling him, don't go in there anytime. Don't, don't be flippant about this. If you are flippant, if you go in there without due process, you will die. Anyone who sees God will die. And so he understands the process. He follows it meticulously. He had a couple of sons who didn't, and they died. Matter of fact, the, this, the fear of death was so great for the priest that after um, they'd have the body die, Aaron's sons. They started uh, uh, wrapping a rope around the priest's feet. They also had bells on their their rope. They wanted to make sure they were still tingling in there, you know, those bells. If they couldn't hear, well, then they got it. Because they they went into the presence of God. And if you go into the presence of God wrongly, you got it. And so they had the rope, because they didn't want to go in there after them. They had the rope to pull out under the veil. That's how serious it was. And God is telling Aaron this, this make sure you don't go in there wrongly, or you will die. Now notice also God's over the ark, over the mercy seat. He's in the holy of holies, but he's still in a cloud. Even after the veil, after the petition, after all of the warnings, there's still this thick cloud in the holy. As, like, a double partition. You waltz in into the presence of God. Now, because, because some people miss that, people are confused at the language of,
1: of Exodus when so it talks about Moses, you know, walked into that tabernacle, that, that place where God was going to be, and he met with God, and he met with Exodus
0: like no other man, face to face. And we take that language and we say, that's what I want. Lord, give me that kind of intimacy to be able to, to speak to you face-to-face. Look at Exodus 33. This is where it's at. Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Well, that's what we want. And I pray that for I want that kind of intimacy. I want that kind of relationship. I want to be able to see face to face. Well, let me clear up what this context really is.
1: We we memorize and focus on verse eleven, and we miss verse ten. Go back
0: a verse. Exodus thirty three, verse ten. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship. At the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses' face to face. How did he used to speak to Moses' face to face? When people saw the pillar of the cloud, here you, you see a different description of the cloud. It's, it's a thickness that resembles a pillar. You imagine coming out of the, the sky or out of the heavens, something that resembled a pillar.
1: And it just comes and sits down on the tower. Moses
0: literally walks into the helmet So just as he promised his sons in the Holy of Holies, there's the veil he's got to go through, but then there's still a thick cloud there. And Moses is speaking face to face, face to face and we have to see that's a figure of speech. That's a figure of speech that describes intimacy. A personal. Intimate relationship, yes. But it doesn't describe for us here great clarity of vision because of the thick cloud, which is why in the same chapter Exodus 33 look the book verse 18. Moses said, I pray, speaking to God, I pray that you show me your glory. And he says, I myself may will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious to you whom I will be gracious, and also will show compassion, I compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. No man can see me. And then, wait a minute. You see, just a few verses, it says you're supposed to be face to face, and now says you don't see my face. Why doesn't he see his face? Because be The face to face was just a bigger speech. This personal intimacy that we can't have with God. But God still is Belly in this thick cloud. Um, You see it all through the scriptures. Sometimes we miss it. But it's it's, it's clearly there. I shared it with you when you look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah came into the temple and he says, I saw the Lord on this throne. And he begins immediately describing characteristics of God. Like the train, uh, the back quarters, the flowing road. And that's all you get. It's the same thing that God showed Moses. He said, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to put my hand over the cleft of the rock where you're at and you will be able to see behind corners. You'll be able to see characteristics of me, But you never get to see God in the full place of his Moses didn't see it. Isaiah didn't see it. They always saw this thick cloud that God showed up. Um, you know, that's why nobody has a description. Nobody says, I saw God. He's got brown eyes and bushy eyebrows, small ears, you know, a tough nose. We don't have any of that. But nobody's seen it. There's he's always dwelling in a veil, in this thick cloud. And we don't have that description. Even when we get into the New Testament, it's interesting. Isaiah says when Christ shows up, he's going to have a, a representation as a man, but it's not going to be something that we're attracted to or drawn into. So it's like sometimes, you know, I can behold one of my grandchildren and somebody says, You're not going to see that with Jesus. You won't be pulled into a visual that you're going to remember and say, don't know him as he as says in my name. And because of that, we don't have all the answers. Because God is truth. And if he, in him dwells, the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and I can't see him clearly. He has to disclose himself to us. He must come down um, so that we can know it. You, know, I say, you say, What kind of relationship is that? I don't know if I can use that. Well, yeah, you can. I, I think about uh, automobiles. Several people in our family had automobiles in the shop in the last couple of weeks, and we're all swapping cars. What do you know about an automobile? I think I know it truly. I don't know it both.
1: And even the auto mechanics, when we take take the car into this
0: and something's wrong, I hear this ticket noise. You know, what is it? And they, what do they say? Uh um, You know, we're gonna have to plug it up. We're gonna have to check it out. We'll figure it out, but we don't know. And we can try to figure something out and make something work. Something's obviously not working. We most of us don't have an exhaustive knowledge of that machinery. That we drive every day. But it's still very useful to us. And we can still be very intimate with it. The same is true of God. There's a sense in which there's no way a finite person can ever exhaust God and totally know Him. We can truly know Him,
1: but not totally.
0: We can sufficiently know Him, but not exhaust Him. That's the God we serve. Look at Deuteronomy 29 and 29 29 books. Famous verse. But we need to remember it. It reminds me of the the couple that sent all the kids away to college and they're finally sitting at home in the quiet house. Mm -hmm. Just the two over there, now empty nesters, and uh, the man looks over his wife I think I want some peanuts. And so he goes to the cabinet gets some peanuts and eats and says,
1: I I love
0: eating peanuts just before going to bed. It's just one of them. The lights of my life. And the wife looks at him and says, We've been married for 30 years, and I've never knew that. And he says, Well, I suppose we have never told you. The point is, you can know someone intimately, you can know someone true,
1: and you still have to tap into
0: the fullness of that being. You don't know them exhausted. 29 Deuteronomy 29-29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the sloth. We know enough to know when we hear God's word with each other's hand. But there's a lot of secret things that haven't been disclosed as if they're behind the veil, as if they're still cows, that's our God. Our God is the God who is veiled, And he has so much more. We get the sequel. This is his word revealed to us. He gives us enough. I can't wait to get to heaven to get the sequel. He says, I have so much more to explain and to share with you. So, recognize our God is a veiled God out What do we do how do we respond to it? Here four things. Number one, since God is a veiled God, never reduce God to any manifestation we can comprehend. Never reduce God to any manifestation we can comprehend. And by that I mean obviously that we can fully comprehend. Our tendency is to always try to reduce God, to make the complex simple. See, God is complicated. let's let's, let's find ways to reduce him, to make him simple. I want my kids to be able to understand. I want some simple-minded person to be able to understand. So our temptation is to constantly seek to reduce God literally to something he has not in an attempt to make him known. So think about that. If 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 he's in this thick cloud, if he's available to us, and none of us know him exhaustively. We don't know him totally. Why don't we try to make him know less by reducing him to something he's not? As you look through the scripture, you don't see a picture of, of God reducing himself, saying hey, let me make this simple for you. Let me just give you one characteristic of mine to focus on. As a matter of fact, scripture consistently
1: God, magnifies God, closes away with God
0: instead of reducing God to something. Why, why would you follow God that you can reduce? Why would you believe in a God that's manageable, that you can control, you can contain, you can draw, hate, and manipulate? That's no. An idol I've created to, to manage.
1: That's not the picture that God gives
0: us of Himself at all. Um, he's irreducible. Let me give you a few verses real quick. Exodus 15, verse 11. Exodus 15, verse 11. You start seeing this trend in Scripture. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? I mean, rhetorical questions. Who's like you? And the answer is, no one. And no one is that awesome. No one is that majestic. If no one, then God, you are incomparable. And indescribable. (coughs) Because there's no one like you. That's the description God gives us
1: himself and see him.
0: Well, I know he's beyond anything I've ever seen. And Anything I ever will see. There's no one like him. Look at Job 36. Verse 26. Searchable. And it doesn't seem to which I can say, Do you know God? You say, God, knows? I, know. I said, No, you don't even know how old he is. How old is he? You don't know much? People I know, I know kind of the least at least their birthday month, right? People I know. Isaiah 55, verse 8. But my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Whatever you think, God, God says, No, that's not God, right. Whatever you think, my vision, I'm cleaning them up. I'm, I'm holy, God says, You're still not there. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my thoughts. One other quick verse, Romans 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. God is beyond us, He's beyond finding out. Uh, so when you want to present God to your friend, or to your family, or to a stranger, how do you do that? Do you reduce it to a picture that you can draw? Or to a characteristic that you can fully up and describe? Or do you stand with scripture and say, you no, know, the God that served is not all of us. He's incomparable. He's, He's incomprehensible. He has a depth of riches and knowledge. I've never been able to get to the bottom. Of it. I've never been truly able to fathom his glory, his weightiness, his majesty, his openness. It's always beyond it, It's exciting, though, the relationship there's always new. There's mercy. Second, never to reduce God to any manifestation we can comprehend. Number two, we realize our sins, the reason that God wears a Substance. And God is a consuming fire. So you put a combustible ser- substance next to the fire and it, it blows up. We can't stand God's it this way. If you enter my presence, you
1: die. Simple so as that. Because holiness and sin don't mix. I don't even worry about sin. That's
0: less last what. So we must realize that God wears the veil and the, the, the veil is the cause of our sin as long as we're sinful to any degree which just separating ourselves further from God. We're not growing in our intimacy. So the veil is not for God. The veil is for us. The veil is for our protection. God didn't veil himself because he's, he's, he's trying to hide God veiled himself because he's trying to protect. Because he's trying to love. He says, I'm sparing you. You enter into my presence and die. So Moses, Aaron, others get to enter into the cloud, into the very Holy of Holies, and yet the cloud is there for their protection. And even as God goes by Moses, he covers it. The cloud man says, Otherwise, Die. I mean, you see it from the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what did they say? That they realized they were naked. They realized that they, they were going to stand before God with, with nothing between them and God. And that was okay before they sinned. But now sin is a combustible substance. They're, they're going to be wiped out. They shall surely die. And so they're trying to cover themselves, which they did in Adam. An God sends them away from His
1: presence, out of the garden, and covers them. Because they can't live in the
0: presence of God with sin. That's the problem. God even spared them and protected them. Let me show you a couple of right verses. Isaiah 59 verse 2. This is just day-to-day right practical stuff. Isaiah 59 verse 2. says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Who's the responsible part of it? We are. Your sins have created a separation. Your sins have created a lack of intimacy. You're missing that face-to-face intimacy. Why? Because of your sins. God dwells in the cloud for our protection. Our sin is not something He can dwell in. Or we die. So when you sin, always remember every time you sin, you say, I don't feel close to God anymore. Well, who moved? You did. You moved away from God with sin. When we sin, we create a separation. He says, though the cloud gets thicker. And that's the way Jeremiah describes it. If you look over at I Lamentations 3, Lamentation, a small book right after Jeremiah. Lamentation 3, verse 44, says, You've covered yourself with a cloud, so that no prayer can pass through. You sometimes feel like your prayers don't you even get they don't get to heaven. God's answering that. He says, I'm not answering your prayers right now. And they said, why are you not answering our prayers? And God says, because your sins have created a separation between you and me. It's like a cloud. God covers himself in a cloud and we don't penetrate. The cloud is impenetrable. It's impenetrable of our sin. Realize God is protecting us. We want to see God clearer. We want to be more intimate. Choose holiness. Choose obedience. Choose to deal with sin, turn from sin, and turn to
1: God's Word and His law and be absorbed by God's truth. And watch your intimacy with God grow. Watch the back
0: of the cloud, not get thicker. Disconnect veiled in flesh to remove the veil caused by our sin. Christ does deal with this separation between us and God. And he, he, he comes veiled in flesh um, look at John 1, verses 14 through 18. Sometimes I think we read this passage and miss this. John 1 great story, starting by telling us Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning, was God. But then verse 14 of John 1, and the word is Jesus. Became flesh. He didn't always have flesh. He takes on flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. in verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Obviously, seeing God's a big deal. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, no, we got the only begotten Son, that's Jesus, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him.
1: So nobody's ever seen God.
0: Why? Because God is veiled. Then Jesus shows up and he shows up in the flesh. He says, are we seeing God? Are we not beholding glory like no one's ever seen glory? Are we not through Christ somehow getting into an intimacy with God up until this point has never been known because no one's ever seen God? What are we seeing here? I think uh, Charles Wesley is trying to capture this in that great Christmas text. Heart the air, heart the hell, of angels sing. Glory to the good one, King. Wesley says, He is veiled in flesh that God had seen. Christ shows up, but He's still veiled. He became flesh. The cloud takes on Flesh. (laughs) Wesley says, yeah. We are seeing the Godhead just as we received the Godhead in Moses' day, but it's still veiled. It's veiled now in flesh. And it must be, continues to be, veiled to a large degree. As a matter of fact, look to Philippians 2. Wesley has another statement. Philippians chapter 2. The other statement, the third stanza of of *Hark the Herald Angels Sing*, Wesley says, "Mild, what is it? The mild child lays His glory by, something like that. Mild He lays His glory by. I think that's the text.
1: He's talking about
0: Philippians two. Look at Philippians two, verse five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus." Who, although he existed in the form of God, what form is that? So we don't know this this form that God really has.
1: Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God
0: a thing to be grasped or literally held to. So he has he's he's equal God in substance. He has the form of God. He has the power and the glory of God. He says. I'm going to lay that aside. Mildly. He lays that aside. Verse 7. And he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Taking on flesh. So the only way God could pour himself into a man to to veil himself with flesh was, to take of his greatness and his glory and said, that won't fit. Let's lay that aside. And I will come to man veiled in flesh. So even those disciples who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, they they began to get, this is the Messiah. But there's a real sense in which they never saw him. Is so when we see something in Christ that's never been before. It's seen. There's a the fullness that never before demonstrated, and yet it's still veiled in flesh. He humbled Himself. He stooped beyond the heavens to the earth and filled flesh with His presence, veiled in flesh. Perhaps uh, the best verse is Hebrews six. think through that work of Christ in his veil. Hebrews chapter 6. 19 and 20 says, This is the hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast one that one enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us having become high priest forever. To the order of the kingdom, so he refers back to that Old Testament veil we talked about, that entrance way into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, where the cloud is. Only a priest could go there. Jesus becomes the great high priest, so he could make that journey. And Jesus indeed does make that journey. He sacrifices himself. He is our sacrifice. He does the priestly work of like that bringing the sacrifice and sacrificing himself, and then after sacrificing himself, entering into the Holy of Holies to present the blood of himself as our atonement. And so when Christ
1: died on the cross,
0: every one of the, the gospel writers, so not the gospels, they said, when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Now no one can get up there to the top. That's God. He's ripping it up and says, Christ is going in. Christ entered. And Hebrew writer says, so now he's in there. He's our high priest. He's in the very presence of God. He is our anchor. That if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, through faith, we're already in the Holy of Holies. We're in the presence of God. And that anchor holds tightly there. Because Christ is there. And we're in Christ. Though He's failed in flesh, He's entered as flesh to make atonement for our sins so that we can dwell in holiness as one who's completely forgiven, washed clean, holy as God is holy. Do we need Jesus? Absolutely. Without Christ, we can't begin to approach. That's who we approach. So number four, only salvation by Christ can remove the veil of God for you or me. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've searched for God. I haven't found him. Well, how do you deal with the, the veil issue? You need the veil. The God you may be searching for may not be the true God God. Because the true God is in a veil. He's veiled himself. And even in Christ, he's veiled himself a lot of people don't think. They think they can learn to do whatever they want, whatever they want. And then miss the whole veil issue. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. As Paul addresses some of that to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. It says, Who also made us adequate as servants, of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life to him. Um, I want verse 16. There it is. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He's talking about it he says we veil ourselves. It's our sin. Remember the the, the, the veil, we thicken the veil through our sins. But when you turn to the Lord, which means you turn sin and you turn to the Lord. That's called repentance. Whenever that happens, the veil is taken away. Uh, and you begin to see like you've not seen before. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. People
1: perish
0: because they can't see beyond the veil. They just can't seem to ever get it. Well, it's because our God is veiled. You're not going to get it until you turn from sin and realize the need to turn to Christ for holiness and righteousness. It gets you inside the veil or a glimpse beyond the veil. It gets you to the presence of God. That's what we need. You can always be in the dark. You're always going to be left trembling in death until you dealt with the veil issue. That what's going to get me into the presence of God without destruction? Because as I am, I'm going to die in His presence. The only thing that can get me into the presence of God, the good news is that Jesus can do that for you. So you must receive Him as your Lord, your Savior, as your atonement, as your satisfaction. One who gives you righteousness, which enables you to dwell in righteousness. You can't earn that. You can't bear that. You can't work it up. Christ can freely give it. You can receive it. That's what you need in Christ. You may want to pray right where you are. Give me Jesus. I need Jesus or I die. Sure. That's the good news that God brings to us in Christ. Now, as we think, through all of that, uh, there's, a, there's a better life to come. Look at, uh, I'm 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I'm this message. You know I always have these two messages. This, this, this. I got another message. 1 me. John chapter 3, verse 2. love this. Beloved and help children of God, and it has not appear as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. He he hasn't appeared what we are going to be yet. Why? Because it hasn't appeared what he is yet. But when we finally see him in his fullness. He says, I'm going to transform you, and you'll be like me, holy, righteous. It hasn't appeared to anyone. People still think we're just hypocrites, you know, no better than we're sinners, Yeah, I get that. But you don't don't get what it is like to be loved by God, and the excitement that gives us that that one day in Christ we can see him as he is without... Destruction. Yes. And we will be like him. Eternal and righteous Righteous. the Lord Ever and ever. What a joy to be a child of God. Beloved here, the love of God, a child of God. Um, look at it this way. There's some some ethnic groups, perhaps nations. Some religions that still practice a woman wearing a veil, and the woman is veiled so, from puberty on until marriage. And at marriage, see, no, no one really knows the woman behind the veil. No one knows her intimate until marriage. And then when she is united to a man, the man has the privilege to remove the veil. She removes the veil, and they can know each other intimately, And they are to be known. And God is is promising us this great wedding feast. He said, "I want to bring you to the Father, and I want to present you to the Father. And when I present you to the Father," I want to unveil you as my bride who is without Who've been groping about in the
1: darkness, may they find the God of the veil. Draw them to yourself, the Lord. Remove the veil of that hope in their eyes that they might see. Christ is their only hope.
0: He's their only anchor in the veil. Father, nourish us now through your word into greater intimacy with you, even as we take of this suffering. For we ask Jesus Jesus.